Jimmy Johnson is an illustration that prioritizing your purposes can lead to success. When Jimmy Johnson was chosen as the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys back in 1989, he made a certain priority of his new job. He said this, and I quote, Above everything else, the thing that matters most to me as CEO is that we win. There is only one goal. If anyone in the organization doesn't have that goal, then I get somebody new in the organization. Now, Jimmy Johnson really meant that um, because when Jerry Jones hired him as the head coach for the Dallas Cowboys, one of the first things he did was take his wife to dinner, and this is what he said to her, and I quote, I can either be head football coach of the Dallas Cowboys or married to you, and I have decided to be the head football coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And he divorced his wife and did not remarry again until after he had finished coaching the Miami Dolphins in 1999. Now, Jimmy Johnson was a very successful coach. He took Dallas to two consecutive Super Bowls, and he may have done so for a third one if he and Jerry Jones had gotten along. And then he went to Miami, and three out of the four seasons that he was there, he took them to uh, playoff seasons. But, uh, but Johnson proved something else, I believe, as well. And that is this, that you can have your priority ladder up against the wrong wall. Now, obviously, those of us who follow Jesus know that when we prioritize our careers over our families, then somehow or another we have, you know, we have got our ladder up against, our priority ladder up against the, the wrong wall. And can I say to us men for just a moment, almost like a tangent note, and that is that we have to be really careful because I think we do that. We prioritize our careers, our jobs. We prioritize our hobbies or our own selfish needs over the needs of our wives or our children, our boys especially, men. I tell you what, our sons need us to prioritize them in our lives. We prioritize everything over against the will of God. Now, uh, Johnson did this, and the end result was positive as far as his career is concerned, but wasn't so positive for his son, Chad, who at the age of 42 lost everything to alcoholism and was sleeping in his suburban. Now, thankfully, Chad's had a turnaround, and now today he actually leads this, this organization to help people who have been captured or wrapped up in, the, in addiction to alcohol. But this led to a lot of tears for Jimmy Johnson, and it led, he said, to his own bottom. And here's something I want to quote from him. This is Jimmy Johnson again. He said, and I quote, a lot of coaches could ration out their time. They would delegate. They would make time for their family. But when I was coaching, I would almost laugh at those guys. I knew we were working extra hours to get the edge on them. I look back, and maybe if I'd been at home rather than trying to win a football game, maybe Chad wouldn't have had those problems. I don't know, but I do know me not being home didn't help. Now, here's my, here's my point in telling that story. It's simply this, that what you and I prioritize matters. What we make to be of first importance in our lives affects things greatly. Now, the book of Haggai is the second shortest book in the Old Testament, and it communicates this very same message. That is, what you prioritize matters. And it's written to a bunch of people who know that God needs to be their first priority in their life, but somehow they've drifted away from that, and they've got misplaced priorities. Now, I want to tell you, that's something that can happen to all of us. We don't intentionally set out to say, I'm going to prioritize the wrong thing. But we can drift away from what we know should be of first priority in our lives. 
Now, Haggai, the prophet, was sent to help people get their priorities back in line and back what they ought to be. Now, Haggai spoke his message to all the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem after living in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. As you will recall, Babylon had destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed Solomon's temple, and they have been living in exile for 70 years in the land of Babylon, which has now been conquered by Persia, and Cyrus has allowed them to return home. Now, Zerubbabel is the governor under Persia, and Joshua is the high priest. And so when Haggai speaks, he is going to direct his statements to those two men, Zerubbabel and to Joshua. However, he's really speaking to all the people of Israel. Now, when the Jews returned from exile, they faced the daunting task of rebuilding everything, including the temple. The first returnees made preliminary attempts to clear the debris and lay the foundation for the second temple, and their Samaritan neighbors offered to join in the work, but the Jews refused them. Y'all do remember who the Samaritans were, do you not? The Samaritans were the people that had, the Jews who had been left in Israel, Babylon had brought in other peoples from other lands to kind of cause this inbreeding to take place so that they would dilute the nationalism of Israel. Now they did this everywhere. And so in other lands, other people were, were, were put in different countries. And again, the, the whole goal was to dilute the nationalism. But the Samaritans were the result of the Jewish folks who had remained and the new people who had brought in marrying together. And of course, the Samaritans were around even in Jesus' day. Now the Samaritans wanted to help with the rebuilding of the temple, but the Jews said, no, thank you. And, and so they sort of, you know, put you know, pressure, fear pressure on them. They also wrote and lobbied Persia to get them to stop building the temple. And, and through their efforts, the Jews had put a halt to building the temple. So it lay there, its foundation laid, but there was just weeds growing up all around and nobody was working on it. Now the years passed and Jerusalem came back to life. And so people built their homes and stores were opened and commerce was established and fields were harvested and crops were beginning to come back. And, and so there was beginning to be this normalcy again in the life of Israel, uh, but they still had not built the temple. Now you need, to, you need to back up just a little bit and understand how important the temple is to, to temple worship and to co first covenant worship in Israel. Israel was all, I mean, first covenant worship, old covenant worship was all about the temple. That's where the presence of God dwelt. That's where the sacrificial system was. That's where you went in and had the day of atonement when the, when the lamb would take away the sins of all of the people of Israel. All of that was gone. There was no worship. Now they had synagogues where they would teach things, but the actual worship of God, because it was regimented or instructed to them by God, that was not taking place. So worship of God in their minds and heart was not taking place. And, and 16, 14 to 16 years have gone by, and they have not done anything on the temple, just the foundation. So it's just sat there, and nothing's happened. And so what that means is the worship of God has not returned to the land. Nobody's worshiping. They're having their synagogues, but they're not really worshiping. And so here comes Haggai, 16 years after they've been home, and here is his message. It's quite simple. It's time to finish rebuilding the temple. It's time to get our priorities in, right, in, in order. This is really a message from Haggai about what should be first priority in your life. 
And so he's saying to them, the, the priority of your life right now needs to be that you restore the temple of God where the presence of God dwells so that we can have a tangible expression of God's presence. You need to rebuild that, and to neglect it is an affront to God. It's an evidence of your misplaced priorities, and it's an embarrassment to God. It's an embarrassment to his reputation. It's a reproach on us. And so the book of Haggai consists of four precisely dated messages from Haggai. Now, I found this extremely interesting. I think, interesting. I think you probably will as well. But the first message is the first chapters, chapter 1, 1 through 15, and it's delivered on the first day of the sixth month of the second year of Darius. That is August 29th, 520 B.C., Isn't that pretty cool that they can date it to that point? The second message is chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. It came two months later, and it's on the 21st of the seventh month, which is October 17th. So Haggai, on October 17th of the same year, two months later, delivers a second message recorded for us in the book of Haggai. The third and fourth messages come on the same day, one of them probably in the morning, one of them in the, in the evening or the afternoon, and, and they happen on the 24th day of the ninth month, which is December 18th of that same year. And so Haggai consists of these four messages uh, to the people. Now, his message is blunt. He pulls no punches. He doesn't waste any words. Haggai spoke for God with this clarion precision, all right? And in his four messages, he's speaking to them. But in them, as, as I read the text, and it, it, took, it took a couple of days, but I felt like embedded in his words were some practical helps for us in how to make sure our priorities are right, okay? In other words, how, how to deal with maybe misguided priorities in our own life. So that's how I'm going to break this, the, the story of Haggai down or the message of Haggai down. I'm going to divide it into his four talks, and in each one of them, I, I want you to see a practical help for us in, in aligning up our own priorities with those of God. All right, so here's the first, uh, the first message and the first help. I'm calling it this. Examine your priorities and admit it if you've got them messed up. Examine your priorities and make sure they're right. And if they're not right, hey, confess it, deal with it. Don't just ignore it. And so chapter 1 begins with verse 2. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while, the house, while this house lies in ruin? So the first thing Haggai does is he tells them, guys, you've got the wrong priorities. And the way he does it is by asking them a rhetorical question. He says, you say, it's not time to build the house of God. It's not time to build the temple of God. I've got one question for you. Is it time for us not to build a house of God while it's time for you to build your paneled houses? I mean, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is really, really clear. How can you say it's not time to build God's temple, but it's time for us to build our own houses when really the most important thing in life is the presence of God and his presence with us? How can you say that? And obviously, you know, the the rhetorical question would have carried a lot of weight with them. How do you answer that? Why would I build my own house when the house that, that visibly not only represents, but houses the presence of God in that day. How can I say it's not time to build that, but it's time for me to build my own house? And then he goes on further to help them see this. And in verse 5, he says, consider your ways. He says, hey, let me, let me ask you just to think about this for a moment. And in verse 6, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have a fill. You clothe yourselves, but you're never warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag 
with holes. In other words, listen to me, everyone. God is disciplining us. Can't you see it? Everything we do does not satisfy. We're spinning our wheels in every aspect of our lives. Why do you think that is? And again, the rhetorical answer is because we are selfishly focused on ourselves and not on what is God's priority in our life, which now would be the reconstruction of his temple. Verse 9, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Hey, listen, guys, the reason why we seem to be spinning our wheels in life as a community, as a a society, is because we, the people of God, have neglected the greatest priority in our lives as his people. So Haggai says, go up to the hills and get wood and get to work. In other words, admit you've had the wrong priority. Admit your priority shouldn't be your own houses. Your priority ought to be the house of God. Admit that. Admit that the temple of God has been wrongly left destitute, and it's time for us to fix that. Go up into the hills. Get wood. Start working on it again. Prioritize the right thing. And then it says, at the end of chapter 1, and the remnant obeyed the voice of God. The remnant feared the Lord. The remnant, their spirits were stirred up, and they began to work on the house of God. So here's what happens. Haggai brings his first message It was back in August, August 29th. He brings that message, and when he stands up and delivers it to the people, the Bible says the Spirit of God helped them be convicted. He does whatever he does in their hearts. They're convicted. They're stirred up. They fear the Lord, and they begin to work on the temple. So the temple temple reconstruction begins August 29th. All right. Now, as for us, I, I think the help there for us is, you know, sometimes it's easy for you and me to just get so caught up in life that we're forgetting what needs to be the priority of our life and other things become priority. Not maybe on ten, not intentionally, not because I'm saying, you know, Lord, I know this is the priority, but I want to do this. It, it almost seems to be just sort of like, you know, that old saying that you can boil a frog to death. You know, I don't know if you can or not, but you throw him in hot water, he's going to jump out, but if you turn it up slowly, you can boil him to death. Has anybody ever tried that? Somebody try that. Hey, in the science for the co-op, that would be a good experiment, right? No, poor frog. Anyway, um, but I think that's how it is with our priorities sometimes, is it not? I mean, it's not like, it's not like we're going to say, this, is, this needs to be the priority, but no, I'm going to make this the priority. What happens is, just over time, little by little, we kind of lose sight of what needs to be the priority. All right, number, the second message, the, the, the help, I think, for us today would be after we've examined our priorities and maybe we see where our, what our priority ought to be, then, then we need to see what will be if we reprioritize. In other words, if I readopt the priority that God desires in my life, what will it look like? What's going to happen if I make that the priority in my life? And so the second message, Haggai asked this question, does anyone remember the first temple? And the answer is, yeah, there's a bunch of old codgers there that do remember it. In the book of Ezra, when they actually finish the temple, guess what those old codgers do when they finish the temple in the book of Ezra? Anybody remember? They cry. Why do they cry? Because it's such a pittance of what the first temple was under Solomon. In other words, this temple that they're rebuilding just can't even begin to compare to the temple that, that was. And, um, and so then Haggai says this to them. He says, and I'm going to paraphrase, this is my, my words, this temple that you're building, 
is going to be greater than the first. And that's why I want you to reprioritize the temple building, because this one is going to be greater than the, than the second one. Here's how he literally says it in verse 9. He says, chapter 2, verse 9, The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, why did God say that? I, I mean, I mean, I'm speculating as to why he said that, but I want to tell you why I think he said that the glory of this temple would be greater than the glory of that temple. So guys, keep your eyes on building this temple. Here's why I think it is. Because the Lord of glory would himself walk the halls of this temple they're building. In other words... The presence of God dwelt in, in the first temple, and the presence of God's going to dwell in this temple. But in the new temple, the incarnate, and that's a big word, simply means that the God who is takes on our humanity and becomes like us, and he's going to actually walk the halls of this temple. And I think that's why God tells them through Haggai, the glory of this temple will be greater because I'm going to walk in person and just like you, I'm going to walk the halls of this temple. So reprioritize it. Make it the priority of your life to get this temple built. You know, the glory of the new temple, as far as a building is concerned, would never compare to Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple, they say, is one of the wonders of the ancient world. It'd be like, you know, at the March for Life a few weeks ago, when we were, you know, and actually every year when I've gone down there, the, uh, we're walking down Constitution Avenue, and you're seeing these impressive buildings lining up, you know, or if you're on the mall, you look over to either side, and there's these incredible buildings. Well, the, the, the Temple of Solomon was an incredible building. In the temple that they're making now, it makes old men weep in comparison to what it was, Okay. But God says, this temple will have greater glory because I think the feet of, the feet of God himself will walk through that temple. And, and then he says this. He says, uh, and, and, and in this temple, I will bring peace. And in this place, I will give peace. And I, I can't help but think that, that God is talking about the fact that God, as he walked through the temple, now he wasn't offered as a sacrifice for our peace in that temple. It would be on a hill outside the, outside the city. But, but as he walked in that temple, he offered peace to men through his life, death, and burial re- and resurrection. So I, I think that's what God has in mind. Now, when it comes to us reprioritizing What's most important, here's what I want to, here's, the, here's the, the, tr- the help that I think we get from what Haggai told them. It's this, keep your eye down the road on what, what will be in the future if we make God's priority our priority. I mean, look at what will be, not necessarily what is right now, but look at what will be if I prioritize what God wants me to prioritize. Let me move on to the third message. The third message, I think, and the help is this one, right priorities is only part of it. It's only part of it. How we carry out our priorities matters. Now, I tell you what, I might be stretching this point a little bit, to, to be quite frank with you. As, as I looked at it, I said, Lord, is this, really, is this really what Haggai is trying to say to them? But he starts off this third message with two questions to the, to the priest. And here's what he asks in verse 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches, and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? In other words, you're carrying holy food in your, in your vest like this and you touch something else, does it become holy? 
And the priest answered, no, of course not, okay? And then Haggai asked this question. If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these things, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Now, you need to, need to remember, this is talking about ceremonially being able to approach God. It's, it's not clean as in germs, but it's clean as in being able to approach God and worship. Something holy touching something else doesn't make that thing holy, but something unholy touching something that is holy makes it unclean so that you're, you're barred from worship until you have cleansed that, all right? So here's the point that, that I think Haggai is making to them. He's saying, you know, you're building this temple. If you don't have clean hands, you're building the temple isn't going to make your hands clean. If you're touching this temple with unclean hands, with a heart that's not right with God, it's the other way around. You affect negatively the building of the temple. In other words, get your heart right with God. That's what Haggai is saying to them. He's saying just because you're doing this thing of building the temple with the right priority, it, it doesn't cleanse you. In other words, guys, we need to be clean before the Lord as we build the temple. And so he says in verse 14, And Haggai answered and said, So it is with these people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. In other words, if our heart is not right, building the temple, we're, we're just... We're, we're affecting it negatively if our heart's not right. But he goes on to say, he goes on to say that he thinks Haggai is grateful that their heart has changed. And God says at the end of message three, and I will bless you. Now here's, here's the application for us with regard to our priorities. And, and here's, what, here's how I think this, this works out in our life. Okay, so we, so we seek the Lord, and, we, and we, we prioritize our life, and we prioritize what God wants us to prioritize. Listen, that does not sanctify our sin. So I'm going to be somewhat prophetical here, all right? I'm going to be like a prophet. You know, your faith in Jesus doesn't somehow purify your use of pornography, your, your desiring to be holy and being involved in the church doesn't erase or change your adultery, all right? Your, your, your following Jesus doesn't make your lying somehow good. Your, your worshiping Jesus on Sunday like this doesn't somehow justify your selfishness, your worry, your hedonism in any way. Here's my point. Please don't misunderstand. We are, we are saved and made clean and righteous by our faith in the Lord Jesus. But that in no way somehow justifies our acting unclean or us not following Jesus and taking our sin. It pollutes our faith. It's an affront to the Lord. Even though we're not saved by not doing something or doing something, we're saved by faith in Christ. Listen, the call of God is to holiness in our life. And so, so the message that I think Haggai has for us, or for them, and for us, by way of extension, would be this. Hey, let's prioritize what God wants us to prioritize, but at the same time, let's be holy. Let's follow the Lord in holiness. And we could make a case that the priority of God is our holiness. But, but setting that aside, let, you know, our following God, setting the right priorities in our life, you know, we still need to be holy. And the last lesson comes later that afternoon on December 18th. Right priorities bring blessing. The last part of the third message, Haggai says this, but from this day on, I'll bless you. 
from this day on, I'll bless you. Why? Because their hearts had repented. They'd reprioritized. They had said, God, you need to be first. And he says, from this point on, as you follow me, I'm going to bless you. And then the last message is directed at Zerubbabel. And he says to Zerubbabel, who's a descendant of David, he says, man, I'm going to make you great, Zerubbabel. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless God's people. I'm going to bless you guys for this. So here's the, here's the message that Haggai has for them from God, and it is this, that right priorities lead to the blessing of God. All right, when we do right, it leads to the blessing of God. And I think, now listen, I think that even apart from the specific blessing of God, if I do right, it carries, if I have the right priorities and things, it carries with it innately, inherent blessing. So you students that are still in school, listen to this, and it's absolutely true. If you study hard, you'll get good grades. And if you get good grades, then you'll open up opportunities for you to get, maybe go to college, go to a, a, a school with a scholarship. And if you go to college in that degree and you still continue to study hard, that'll, that'll lead to a job of influence. And so later on, and actually not just a job with influence, probably a job that makes more money. And so you'd have an opportunity to have more influence in the, in the future, but it all begins with studying. You see, so here's my point. I mean, even someone who's not a follower of Jesus, if they are diligent to their studies, it leads to a place of, of earthly blessing, if you would, in the future. And I think that's true for them. As they follow the Lord's uh, you know, in, uh, priorities, it's going to lead to a blessing. But that is not what God is saying here, okay? God is saying here, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you specifically, Zerubbabel. I'm going to bless you, people of Israel. I'm going to bless you because you're being, you've turned and you're being faithful to me. Everybody says that this was a great day of revival in Israel's life. In other words, they repented, they returned to the Lord. So let me walk back through those four things. Examine your priorities and admit if they are out of whack. Get a vision for what God will do if you prioritize the right things. Remember, right priorities are super important, but holiness is vital. And the last one, right, right priorities bring, about, bring with them blessing, but blessing in their outcomes and, I believe, blessing from God. Now, that's the book of Haggai, and that's my application at, at some level. Uh, but I, I, I feel compelled to not stop here. And you knew that was coming, didn't you? <laughs> I, I, I cannot stop here. Because I have to ask, what is the priority for you and me? In other words, their priority at that moment in time was to rebuild the temple where the presence of God dwelt. That worship would return to, to them in a way that it was all about that. What's our priority? You know, I sat there at my desk this week, and I mean, I'm telling you, it came quickly it came clearly, it came concisely, it came convictingly, and I wrote all of those words down immediately after it came to me. And here's the priority of our lives. This is what God is calling you to prioritize, and this is where you need to examine yourselves and say, is this the priority of my life? This is the priority of your life personally. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The priority of every one of our lives in this room that followed Jesus, I mean, unequivocally, you, you can't argue with me, I'm right, I'm right. The priority of every one of our lives in this room that followed Jesus should be to love God with all of, all of our being. God's not, Jesus isn't dividing us into four parts, 
He's basically saying with every part of your being, love God with all you are. So what does it look like to love God with all my being? I asked myself that question, and, and here are three things. And this is where, you know, you have to just evaluate whether I'm right or not. This isn't coming from the Bible necessarily, specifically. But I, as Paul said, I believe I have the Spirit. I, be, I believe this is the measure of what it looks like to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Here it is, number one, it means valuing your relationship with God above every other relationship in your life. It means that the priority of your life is Jesus. The priority of your life is God. And, and he comes before your parents, he comes before your kids, he comes before your spouse. Listen to this, yep, he even comes before your own life. Jesus said, if you're not willing to give up your own life, you're not worthy of me. So the, the priority of my life needs to be, I mean, to, to, the priority of my life is it's loving God. It means valuing that relationship with God above everything else in my life. So here's my, here's my get honest question. Rate your relationship with God right now. Every one of us, rate your relationship with God. Where does it fall? Where does it fall? Your relationship with God. Now, this is a rhetorical. I don't want you to say anything out loud. Is God the number one relationship in your life? And if so, why do you say that? Why do you say that God is the number one relationship in your life? All right? What evidence would you point to if you're trying to make the case with me or anybody else that God is my number one relationship? It's the priority of my life. How would you make that case? What would you point to in your life? But it means valuing, loving God with all my heart means valuing my relationship with him above everything else, everyone else. Number two, it means investing in my friendship with God with principal importance. If you answered yes to the first thing I just asked, the, the, the self-examination question, yes, God is first, in what ways are you investing in that friendship with principal importance? You understand the distinction? One of them is to say, God's first in my life. The second one is to say, okay, how do you invest? That's the first relationship in your life. How do you invest in that relationship? How do I invest in that relationship? I mean, here's the get honest question. Let's answer the question to ourselves and God, if no one else. How do I invest in that relationship with God as first importance? How, how do I do that? What does it look like? What am I doing? Do you carve out time daily to meet with God? Do you carve out time every two or three days is it just on Sundays that you meet with God and talk with God and, and God's kind of the focus of your relationship? Or is it every day? And I tell you, I, I thought about this an awful lot. Um, I thought about this awful lot because part of me wants to say my relationship with God as first, as first priority in my life means I'm, I'm, I'm investing in my relationship every moment of every day, all the time. It's a continual relationship with God. And, and I think all of us should have some degree of which that's true, wouldn't you? That throughout the day, you're talking to God, you're thinking about God, you're, you're asking God, what, what do I do here? You're, you're, you know, you're, just, you're just in constant communion with the Lord. But you know the truth, if I'm being really honest with myself, that you know, sometimes I can go through all day and I don't think about God. I mean, he's not, I'm, I'm not really investing in that relationship. If we don't consciously invest in our relationship with God as with, as with first importance, you know, then, then I, I can't, I don't think I can really honestly say that, that he, that that is my priority. How did Jesus do it? Everybody knows. It's Mark 135. Mark 135. This ought to bring great conviction to your heart and mine. Mark 135 says, in the early morning, while it was still dark, 
Jesus, the Son of God, God become flesh, left the house and went away to a secluded place. No telephones, no texting, no, nobody else, no kids, no spouse, no nothing, and was praying there. I tell you what, this is how we live out that Jesus is our first priority. We do just what our Savior did. We just go out and we, we, we get alone with him. We talk with him. So you know what? Walk with God every moment of every day. But don't forget that that, needs, that, the prior, that priority lived out in my life needs to be lived out in some specific time where I just get alone with him and I'm specifically talking to him. You know, Ann and I have a relationship that we're rubbing shoulders all the time. We're talking, we're talking. But you know, there's times like in every marriage here you, you need to pull aside, and you need to really focus on each other, right? You need to really talk. You need to really get serious about whatever, and not just in the passing. And that's how it is with our relationship with God, and it should be a first priority to us. And the last thing, it means prioritizing his will over my will in my life. And Jesus said this over and over and over again. If you love me, you will. If you love me, you will. Wow, guys, if you love me, you will obey me. He says it over and over and over again. The, the, the evidence that we're prioritizing our love for God over everything else is, is, and over me is that I choose his will over mine. That's hard. Jesus said we can't have two masters. You can't have a divided allegiance. All right? You, you're, gonna, you're either going to love Jesus first and follow Jesus most, or you're going to put somebody else, and the person most likely you're going to put there is yourself. You know, and so we, we can't have two masters. I can't serve Jimmy and Jesus. I, I tell you, a lot of times I'm, I'm struggling with that because I want to serve Jimmy, but you can't serve both. You got to choose. And so loving God, if the priority of my life is to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, if that's my priority, this is what it looks like. I choose his will over mine. So let me ask you this again. This is your examination question this morning. Is your life characterized by obedience to Jesus or by secret sin? In other words, if, if your life was put on the screen here behind me or my life was put on the screen behind me and we could see everything that you see that nobody else sees, what would characterize your life? Would it be, would it be following Jesus and loving Jesus, obeying Jesus, or would it be filled with secret sin? I mean, the only one that answers that is you and God. It's, that's what we call it, secret sin. But you know what? We need to put to death secret sin. I mean, the Bible tells us all the time to die to sin, put it to death, kill the flesh. Just a fancy way of saying kill, kill that sin in our lives. And I know it's hard. I really do. I know it's hard. And I know we struggle. And we struggle in different areas. But you know what? We just, here's, here's the prophetical word of Haggai. We need to prioritize what God wants us to prioritize. And, and for us personally, it's, it's, for me personally as a Westerner, thinking individualistically, it is that I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that means killing the flesh, prioritizing my relationship with him as far as input goes, and it means making it the most valuable relationship in my life. Now, I'm, I'm done. I was finished. And then before, before I knew it, I mean, Jesus gives us a second priority, by the way. Let me just mention it. It's to love other people, okay? It's to love other people like we love ourselves. It's to prefer others as more important than ourselves, to look out for their interests, not just for our, for our own. That's, that should be the second priority of my personal life, okay? And, but I'm out of time. But I've got to tell you one more thing that God showed me after I'd finished my message. And, and I think this is huge. It hit me that I'm looking at the message of Haggai 
from an individualistic Western perspective. And what I mean is I took the message that Haggai had to the people of Israel and I applied it to myself personally, okay? But that's not the message of Haggai. The message of Haggai was to the people of Israel as a group, and you have prioritized your own stuff to the neglect of the building of the temple. You together as the people of God, you have neglected that which you were to be about as a people, you've neglected that to focus on your own stuff. And his message was to them corporately. And I tell you, it was like a, it was like a rushing tide that swept across me. And, and, and here's what I think I want to say before we finish that comes from God. And that is, yes, that everything I just told you about the priority of your individual life is true. But there is a message from Haggai here that we as the people of God need to corporately, corporately exist to build the temple of God. And yet we are so consumed with our individualism and in our Western mindset and our materialism that, that I tell you, together as the people of God, building the temple, it's really not on our mind, it's not on our radar. Now listen to what I'm going to say, and, and you know, this is where the, the, the gentleman really got offended with me before, I believe, but I'm going to say it again. Please don't be offended. You can disagree with me. It's okay. I do not believe the temple in Jerusalem will ever be rebuilt, and the reason why I say that is because when God destroyed it in A.D. 70, he was already beginning to build a new temple. He was already building a new temple. Peter tells us what the temple is. The temple is us, the people of God. And every one of you who follow Jesus is a living stone in the temple that God is building. And the chief cornerstone of that temple is Jesus. And here's, here's what I believe the message of Haggai would be to us, Bacon's Castle, as a family, and that is that God is erecting a new temple. Whatever you believe about God building another temple some other day, let's just put that aside for a moment. And let me tell you, God is building a temple today, and we are that temple. We are that. And Bacon's Castle is a microcosm of that big temple that God is building. And you remember the purpose of the temple and the people of Israel as a nation in the Old Testament? It was so that in a dark world, where if you were studying the lesson today in Sunday school, remember, God gave the nations up to follow their own will, to do whatever they wanted, but Israel, he was constantly stopping them. He was constantly saying, no, 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 you are my people, come back, come back. They were to be a light. The temple was to be this light that would draw men to himself. That's what we are. We are this temple. That is to be a bright light in the world. Just like the video we watched a couple of weeks ago said, we're, we're the little clean spaces all over the world. See, the temple of God that God is building is us, his people. And, and you know what? We've put the building of the body of Christ on the back burner of our lives. And I think if Haggai were here and he was going to be challenging us to not neglect the temple and stop building in our own houses, he would say, listen, beloved, the temple of God needs to be a priority, if not the priority, of our life corporately together as the church. We are to be building this temple of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. I tell you, as, I, as, as this occurred to me after I'd already finished, it was like God was saying to me, we're preoccupied with our own stuff and the temple of God, the people of God, the bride of Christ the living stones built upon the chief cornerstone, the building of the temple is, is taking the back seat. 
And God would want us to reprioritize the building of his temple. I know some of you all think, and not, not consciously, but maybe unconsciously, that we hired Jimmy to build a temple. And you've been better trained than that, and you know that's not true. It is all of our job to build the body of Christ, to build the bride of Christ, to build the temple, the living temple of God. So here's what I'd like to ask you all. In, in the vein that Haggai confronted them, I'm confronting us Lord, teach us how to make the building of your temple, your people, the priority of our life. Teach us how to do that. You know, it's, it's not as easy as just going up to the hills and bringing wood and stone down and building this, this physical building because the temple we build is an immaterial one, but, but we need to. The Jews of Haggai's day, or Haggai's day, heard and they repented. May we do the same. Now, I don't know how the Lord may have spoken to you, but I invite you to respond to the Spirit of God it says that they, they left Jerusalem and began to build a temple. I would encourage you this morning to do two things. Examine your personal life. I, you know, we are Westerners. We, we have understood the individualization of our relationship with God, and, and so maybe your priorities need to be reworked. Maybe you need to look at your priorities and say they're out of whack, and I need to change them and get a picture of what it would be like if you reprioritized your relationship with God. You loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and put that relationship first and invested in that relationship most and, and followed his will completely. Maybe you need to look at it that way. But for all of us as the people of God, the temple of God, Bacon's Castle family, man, help me, brothers and sisters. Let's, let's prioritize the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and God's going to add everything to us, everything we need, everything we need for godliness and holiness. He's already given it to us. So let's prioritize building his temple. I don't know what that looks like for you and what that means for you. For some of you, it may, it may mean stop just dating the church or just attending the church and, and just saying, man, I'm a part of this. It's my job to build this, this temple of God, just like it's Jimmy's job and, and anybody else's job that's it's here. Maybe you need to say that to yourself and get a picture of what it would look like if you began to prioritize the temple of God, began to invest your life, your family, your, your all in building the temple, what God might do. Holy Spirit, help us. It's so hard, Lord, to break through the crust of our hearts when we, we want to, but we feel nothing, we're numb. And Lord, not that we just act on feelings, but Lord, it means a lot when you break through that that hard emotional crust that we build around our heart. You know, break the, the heart of stone or the, the encrustedness of our heart and, and, and Lord, flesh up our hearts. May, may our hearts just long for you and seek you and love you above everything else. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our Savior, for being our God. May we love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength and with all our mind. Lord, and teach us how to prioritize loving others as well. Lord, may you take our family, this, this small microcosm of the greater temple of God, and Lord, may you use us to impact Surrey, all white. Lord, may, may people's lives be changed because we refuse to be guilty of silence and of not building on your temple. Lord, give us lips that speak quickly and... and, and, and convictingly and with confidence of your grace. Lord, give us hearts to pour our lives into each other, to give our very best, not just to you, but to one another and, and to your kingdom work. 
Lord, teach us what it means to, to not live so individualistically in our Western world, but to come together as your people, to be that light, that city set on a hill. Lord, may Bacon's Castle as a family be a city set on a hill. Lord, hear our heart cry this morning and help us. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.